You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, folks. Welcome into the Mountain West Wire football podcast, MWWire.com. You know what it is. You are here. You found it. If I had to explain, Matt, what, what's going on. Is that a good or a bad thing? Because I'm hopeful a lot of people just stumble across like, hey, what's this show? And we'll listen to it. So that's why we do that every time, I guess. Well, you know what? If this is your first episode, you came in at a very good time. Yeah, because football's here. Week zero games in the Mountain West dominates the schedule this weekend. We've been through the mm-hmm. offseason. If you missed any of our like previews or team previews for who's not playing, there's still time to listen to, game, to teams we're talking about this week. Wyoming, Hawaii, UNLV, Utah State, others. Plus, next week is the full-on, full-fledged week one. So there's still time to go back and listen if you want. But we're here to talk about those games, including UNLV, uh, who did I miss out? Hawaii, Vanderbilt, Nevada, New Mexico City, all the games this week. Of the 11 games, about, I think five are Mountain West. That's pretty good, right? It's a typical – it's a light week for us, technically, the preseason. That's true. <laughs> Going through 12 games, that could be uh, – that's a thing. So do we have any thoughts before we get into these games? Big, We did our big mega preview where we kind of did some bold takes and some random predictions and stuff like that. Anything you need to add before we get into these games? Or we should just like get get what the people want, I guess. I don't know. Any lingering thoughts? Yeah, I'm going to say I don't think anything immediately comes to mind. So we might as well just jump right into it. Both feet. No nonsense. We're getting to it. First game of the weekend. Idaho State. Oh, boy. At UNLV. Eh. CBS Sports Network, 12.30 local time at Allegiant Stadium. No line in this game, which I tried to find one, Matt. Did you, I desperately tried to find one. Did you find anything at all? Or is it just like I did not. What do you think it, what do you think it should be? <laughs> I mean, it should honestly be something. At, it should at least be 20 points. 20 points. So ESPN's FPI gives the Rebels a 93% chance to win. Mm-hmm. So do recall, isn't their upset loss to Howard a couple years ago like the biggest spread upset and loss ever in college football? I think so, yeah. I think like, it just snuck past that Stanford-USC game from, what was it, like a decade ago or something? When, when Jim Harbaugh gave the Trojans the business? We remember. Yeah. <laughs> so with this game, I guess the biggest thing to focus on, because Idaho State, the Bengals, they're picked near the bottom of the big sky in preseason media polls and coaches poll, I think tied with one other team. But here's the big question I want to know. Does Tony Sanchez have to win this game? You mean Marcus Arroyo? 
Oh, oh man. I was thinking Howard and I went back to Tony Sanchez. No, oh man. How, what am I, five years behind Matt on that game? No, sorry. Marcus Arroyo. I was thinking Howard. Remember that game with Sanchez was around? No, for Marcus Arroyo, let me restart this. Does Marcus Arroyo have to win this game to, uh, keep settled ground for his, uh, job for this year? I will take that one step further. Ooh, he fired if they lose. He's got to win this game by at least multiple touchdowns. What if he doesn't? What if it's like 21 to 17? I think that that would cause an awful lot of consternation, or at least it should. Five alarm fire. (laughs) Because, like, have you, okay, so first of all, have you seen this Idaho State starting lineup? Uh, I've looked, I've perused their depth chart at College Press Box, yeah. So, long story short, you know, one of the things that really stood out to me, I was sort of breaking down each of the depth charts in turn. Um, so this is, this includes both offense and defense. The Bengals have, have 12 different players who are either freshmen or sophomores in their starting lineup. Oh boy. Which, you know, given that they had basically bottomed out under the previous head coach, you know, I think, uh, you know, you know, points to Charlie Ragel, the new head coach up there in Pocatello for not taking any shortcuts and trying to, to get them back to respectability. But I think what that means for this week in particular is just that, you know, while Idaho State is not without some talented pieces, you know, Tyler Vanderwall, who you might remember former Wyoming quarterback, you know, he's, he, he was the starter last year before he got hurt. He's the QB one mm-hmm. again this year. You know, we know what he can do. Like when, when, he has talent around him and it's not like they don't have other guys who should be able to step up and contribute. You know, they have an all conference center, Taron Carey, you know, they got a pretty good linebacker, Charles EK, but on the whole, you know, you're still talking about a team that was one of the worst in the country in terms of, you know, the total offense per play, one of the worst scoring offenses anywhere in the country. Um, and then, the, you know, they struggled just as much in, you know, those same metrics on defense too. Like they were, they were worse than 100 on both sides of the ball by both yards per play allowed and points per game, uh, you know, both allowed and scored. So that's a long way of saying that, you know, even if there are, you know, players that I think are worth watching that could make waves for, for the Bengals, you know, UNLV should have a sizable talent advantage, a sizable experience advantage, which should allow them to run away with this game. They should. And this is the game too. We discussed during one of our many preseason, most likely the UNLV um, offseason preview show back re- fairly recently. Mm-hmm. Quarterback situation, Doug Brumfield or, or was it Tennessee transfer Harrison Bailey? Yes. As of August 24th, we're recording this the 25th. It has not been announced, which makes sense. I'm, I can fully guarantee both these guys are going to play. So I, so whoever starts, I don't think it matters all that much because I think they'll both get, and that's, this is what I would do. I'm not saying that's what uh, coach Roy is going to do, but I just think they both should play to extend a spring or spring, fall, summer battle through week one, week zero, week one. They'd make the most sense because those two guys, like, I, we're surprised kind of Cam Frill's not in the mix just because what he brought to the team last year and played pretty well for what the Rebels had mm-hmm. to do despite rotating through quarterbacks, Rodgers, Brumfield, Frill himself due to injuries and whatnot. But I'm, be- I'm betting that's what they're going to do. And that's what I would do if I was a team just to see how they do against actual football. Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to use the opportunity to break in a number of new pieces. So, like, with regards to the quarterback situation in particular, 
I think one thing that Royals has to be looking for is to just get the passing game off to a faster start. Mm-hmm. Because as a team last year, in the first quarters of games in particular, you know, UNLV only completed 56.5% of its throws, which um, was the next to, it was next to last in the Mountain West. The only team with a worse completion rate was Air Force, which, yeah. as you and I both know, they don't throw the ball really at all. Um, and they had three interceptions and just 69 total pass attempts. So, like, that was a slightly higher interception rate of 4.3% than they had on a per-game basis. So if they can cut those early mistakes, you know, especially against a, a, a secondary, which, as I mentioned before, you know, those 12 players I mentioned, that includes the entire secondary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they have a freshman and three sophomores in the starting lineup, and then even those on, you know, on the two-deep you know, there are three sophomores there too. So you're talking about seven out of eight players in the secondary who are likely to see a lot of snaps or underclassmen. So I think what they're going to try and do is put both of those guys in positions to succeed. But I think that that's also true of like the running game as well, because, you know, not only are they having to try and settle on a quarterback, you know, I, I think they're also going to want to figure out what their committee wants to look like over the course of the season as well. And, Unlike the quarterback situation, it seems pretty clear that they expect Aiden Robbins, the Louisville transfer, to be the guy. You know, there's there's no oars attached to that situation, in other words. So I'm thinking, too, that they're going to want to try and and instill the same kind of offense they had when they played at their best last year. And when they played at their best, that was largely because of the chuck wagon. And so I think as for as much as they want to try and, yeah, that's what I'm saying. For as much as they want to try and establish, you know, a quarterback situation or like a QB one, I think it's just as important to not forget what made them most successful last year and, and try to see, especially against a sort of a a soft Idaho state defense, you know, whether Robbins can be that same kind of guy or whether they need to open it up a little more with some of the returning guys like, you know, Courtney Reese or Chad Magger. Yeah. This will be an area like to mention, all the guys rotate in secondary. Running back, they'll get chance. Same as quarterback, they'll get chances to play. Because this is really come on. This is a preseason out of conference game. There should be no issue with them winning this matchup. And it, mm-hmm. but it, it, I just think it's, it's like what it is like during camp. It's like oh, you can't hit very much. You don't do much hitting. You're not in full pads every day. You can't do as many two a days as you used to, or at least consecutively for uh, player safety, which is great. Just so you plus injuries and stuff, you don't want that to happen. But doing going this route, it's a real game. You have to go out there and play your hardest. So there's gonna be guys who are hopefully that should separate themselves that could be okay, I'm gonna be the starting quarterback. I'm gonna be running back one or I'm gonna be defensive player insert slot here. I'll be the starter after this game because I played well in real games. I don't care that it's Idaho State. It's more long how you get playing when you're actually something's on the line essentially. Yeah, and I think you know that extends to basically every part of the offense too. It's it's very easy to highlight the skill positions, but also like that applies to the offensive line too, which was sort of iffy in terms of like how I was able to protect the quarterback last year. Like you know, I think I mentioned this on on the preview podcast. So I'll just iterate it again. The Rebels allowed a sack rate of almost eleven percent on offense last year, which was one hundred and twenty fourth in the country. So. Against the Bengals defense that had a grand total of seven sacks last year, not not a typo. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they had exactly one person, I believe, you know, their defensive end, Terrence Jones, who had more than one or more than one sack last year. Um, 
and they, you know, they have a new guy that I think they're excited about, the other defensive end, Cortland Horton, who, again, another sophomore on this team. But, you know, for this sort of remade offensive line with, you know, most of its, you know, most of its major contributors from last year coming back, yeah, I think the only new guy in the lineup is Preston Nichols, the chart, the Charleston Southern uh, transfer. Again, no excuses. I think, you know, that unit wants to get off to a fast start, open holes, and leave no doubt. So what do you what's your score prediction here? Do you have a score prediction or you just can go they're gonna win? I mean, I do have a score prediction. Um I think it's 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 maybe instructive to look at SP plus because you know, of the three things that I that I like to look at for sort of generally trying to understand how a game might go. Uh Bill Calling was the only one who actually had a projection for this game. Good for and him. He pro- yeah, he projects the Rebels to win by twenty-two. It's basically a th- like a thirty-three, thirty-four to to 11 margin. And, you know, if I'm UNLV, I'm thinking they should score 40 at least. So I think they're going to win this one in a walk. I'm going to say 45 to 10. 45 10. I hope that's the case. Idaho State's bad. I, on, here's, I'm going to be a little bit bold here. I'm going to go 30 to 3. They're not going to allow them to score a touchdown, the Bengals. Yeah. And I mean, you know, and all of those things that we mentioned too, I think that that applies to the defense as well. Like, you know, obviously Jacoby Woodman's gone, Brennan Scott's still out. So they're going to need to generate a pass rush. That's one thing that both of these teams have mm-hmm. in common. But like without their stars last year, the Rebels did not really get pressure on the quarterback all that often. And so, you know, we know what Adam Plant can do. And, but there's other guys on the defense too that are going to be just as important to making sure that that Idaho State stays down. So like your Elijah Shelton's, your Isaiah Sales, or the guys in the secondary, Jariah Williams, Jordan Morgan, those types of guys, they're going to be just as important as getting off to a good start on offense as well. Exactly. All right, next game. Oh, boy. This is uh, UConn traveling all across the country to take on Utah State. Defending Mountain was champion Utah State Aggies, for those who don't remember or don't want to remember, we'll remind you here. 2 p.m. at Logan, FS1, 20, as of right now, I believe, I don't think it's changed, but 27 and a half point favorites. Actually, it's up to 20. Oh, it's down to 26 and a half. Depends where you look. So this is interesting, Matt, because it's, the line's basically almost four touchdowns. The over-under is only 59 and a half. That's kind of weird. Well, I mean, I think they're expecting Utah State to be able to, you know, hold a sizable advantage with this offense, but maybe also yeah. with sort of a retool defense because, you know, it, you know, it's, it's, you sort of have to talk about the headlines they made, you know, that, that you come made earlier this week, right? <laughs> no defensive coordinator. Um, yeah. Jim Moore is like, Thanos, wait a minute. Gone from the team, a- personal reasons. Yeah. He's like, wait a minute. We're the warm up game. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> like, and I was seeing some hilarious. screenshots from an article that was put out there on Twitter. And I believe it was no escalators who put it out there. Um, talking about how the rest of the defensive staff, like they haven't, elevated anybody from an analyst role to like patch up the the hole in the coaching staff. They haven't elevated anybody to the DC role in an interim basis. Well, it didn't all Jim, the position coaches, but Jim Moore's like a defensive guy. So assuming he would be that take over that position. Yeah, maybe, but I mean, he's also the head coach. He's got to oversee everything. So it's like, yeah. I, I'm thinking right away. Like if, if I'm Utah state, why am I not going four wide and just taking a shot down the field on the very first play of the game? 
Might as well see what Cobbs can do, Fred McGriff can do. I'm betting it's going to be more because he is a DC for your 49ers back in the day, Matt, like almost 20 years ago for a bit. That's true. So I'm betting that's it, but head coaches do that. There's guys who call their own plays on offense or defense. So that's not out of the norm, but it is, it is unique. You mean like you would not even see like, Hey, you're an analyst. You're, I maybe there's rules about promoting, like, because technically you can only certain number of head coaches on the sideline or coaches on mm-hmm. staff. And so maybe there's some sort of rule, even though he's on leave, he's technically still in his position for his coaching. So you can't just, hey, you defensive analyst or grad assistant, you're moving up to the co-defensive line coach or something. Everybody kind of jumbles. But that's still, regardless, week of game, your DC goes away. Jim Ward, also, can we, I want to ask you a question here. We'll get to this game. It'll be interesting because UConn might play the, not the quarterback, but they've had four quarterbacks in the running. Is a Jim yeah. Moore, is he a sicko head coach for taking this job? Because this is one of those games where it's like, ooh, we have to watch this or like Nevada, New Mexico State. Is he that type of guy who just likes football and is taking this job? Because it's literally a bottom five job in all of college football, maybe bottom three. This team, New Mexico State, New Master, like probably the three worst in the country. I assume it pays well. Really? I don't know what his contract is off the top of my head, but. Oh, I'm going to look now. <laughs> It's, uh, my question is, you get Ra- Randy Etzel bonuses where if they win the coin toss, he gets a thousand dollars. That I don't know, because <laughs> that was the craziest thing. We're not losing the halftime, five grand. We get ten first downs. Here's five hundred dollars. It was the most weirdly worded contract ever. Hmm. But if we, st- I'll look up the contract while we're going here. But if we stick on offense, they don't, they don't know or they don't say what their what their quarterback situation is. However, when he comes out and says there are, or the depth chart, I should say four quarterbacks as an option, that can't be good. Having two, I get it. Like, look what UNLV is going through. We'll get to Illinois. They just named their starting quarterback just recently. A couple teams, are, we're not entirely sure who's the starting quarterback. Like, the Mexico's dealing that with that at the moment. They're not sure. Or, no, no, they announced it. Sorry, they waited the last second. But teams will usually have two guys. But they have four. So, you got Taquan Orberson, Kale Millen, Zion Turner, freshman. Product. All these guys are young. And then Tyler Famakachan? Palmachan. Palmachan. Okay. I saw a lot of, a lot of words, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of letters in there. He's a redshirt freshman. Um, I don't know who's going to be the guy, but they have four guys and you're not confident in any if you're starting four of those, either of those four. I have to think that Roberson is probably the guy who sees the field first. That would make the most sense. And so I think, you know, in that case, what I want to see from, from Utah State in that regard is just to pick up where they left off at the end of last season where especially on the defensive side of the ball, they were, they were a much stingier unit down the stretch. And, you know, now they're, they're trying to replicate that without a number of key figures. And so I think, you know, one guy I'm looking at to, to come firing out the gate is, is Daniel Grzeziak, who, you know, Nevada transfer played sort of a part-time role behind, you know, guys like, uh, I believe Cam Toomer uh, and guys like that off the edge for the Wolfpack, but he, performed pretty well as a as sort of pass rushing specialist, a role player uh, for the Wolfpack over the last couple of years. Now he's going to be counted upon, you know, along with other guys like Patrick Joyner Jr. and Byron Bonds to sort of you know, be able to bring the heat for the Aggies off the edge. And so I think if, if I am Utah state, if I'm looking at a quarterback situation, if I'm looking at an offensive line situation where, you know, both tackles are, are sophomores, you know, who may have gotten a, you know, a bit of extended action last year, but are sort of, you know, relatively new to being, you know, full-time starters. I think, uh, you know, Valentin Sen, for instance, the starter at left tackle only started, only played in three games. He didn't even start three games last year. 
Um, you know, it's, it's an offense that like, it has some interesting pieces like, you know, Keelan Marion, if he can, if he has the time to be able to stretch the field, I think he could do a little bit of damage. You know, they'd have Nathan Carter, their leading runner, who interestingly enough is not listed as the starter. Hmm. That is actually Robert Burns, a graduate student who really, who really only played sparingly last year, which makes me wonder if maybe they have a, a sort of a running back tandem that they think they can rely upon. But I mean, other than that trio, there there should be plenty of opportunity for Utah State to make hay in the same way that they did in the second half of last year. Yeah, because that's what we want to see because people were skeptical about – but the turnaround was amazing. Let's start right there from last 2020 to 21 because basically the team quit to have that big turnaround. So I think people want to say, hey, is this legit? And we know UConn is a little pesky. They played Utah, UConn close – or excuse me, Wyoming close, but they got blown up by Fresno State last year for opener. And Utah State and Fresno State offensively are – in the ballpark, obviously, with Logan Bonner throwing the ball. But I just want to, like, you're right. I want to see him come out and beat this team. Say, hey, we're, yeah, it's one of the worst teams in college football, but you don't want to have a 28 to 20 game. You want to win like 40 to 10 in this matchup. Like, hey, our defense showed up. We have new guys to come in and replace some guys like Justin Rice. Um, secondary lost the guys you want to come in and say, oh, I got an interception, made some pass breakups, forced fumbles. You want to see them block down the team. And I don't think it should be that hard with what UConn has offensively. And also, you're right. You know why it's going to be Roberson? So, the, you know what the dumbest thing is this whole offseason for transfers? What's that? Have you, have you heard of any transfer quarterback not being the starter at the new school? Oh, um, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's got to be one or two, right? But but not many. Like, Keaton Slovis the other day, Dylan Gabriel, Caleb Williams. Even back when Utah last year brought in Charlie Brewer, he started. He got hurt was benched for being terrible. But it seems like any starter tra- – any quarterback transferring in, basically wink, wink, nudge, you're the starter guy, just come in. So that's why I think Robertson is going to be the guy. He may not play the whole game, but I'm, I, I bet 95% chance he's going to get the first nap and play majority of this contest. Yeah. So that, I would guess you're probably right. Because why leave if you're not going to be that type of player, especially quarterback? You're not going somewhere to be mm-hmm. backup unless maybe you're like a true, fr- like a freshman moving on it, which basically he was, but that's where mm-hmm. I think it's Robertson. But this team overall, like they're just, not good. Also, Morris contracts about one point five million per year with some random typical and bonuses, incentives, and stuff. So nothing too crazy. All right then. But this game shouldn't be close. Utah no. State and I mean, needs to establish who their guys are. Like honestly, what Cobb, what uh, Cobb's from Maryland comes over, what is he going to do? Because he's a guy people are looking at. Like, hey, maybe he could not feel. Nobody's going to feel Devin Thompson. That's, that's very difficult. It'd be a guy who could be how they spread the ball around and get 40 to 60 catches this year. They have a couple of those guys instead of one huge guy getting like nearly 80 or 90 catches, which is, would be mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. I mean, I think one, one thing I also want to see, which may be a little more specific is, is how successful the Aggies can be on in, in moving the chains or in conversely and keeping uh, UConn from doing the same thing. Cause you know, one of the things I, I gleaned that sort of stood out from, from Parker Fleming's uh, advanced stats preview, which if you're not following him already on Twitter, at Stats O War, I highly recommend it. But, you know, on especially with regards to the UConn offense versus the Utah State defense, that's about as lopsided a matchup as, as it would be if last year's results hold. Um, because the Huskies were 129th on offense and third and fourth down success rate. Last year, they really only succeeded about a quarter of the time. Conversely, the Aggies' defense was third in the country. 
And I think you know, it's more important. It was more important for them to be successful on offense when they were in the top twenty-five. They were twenty-third on offense in particular. Mm-hmm. So while I'm, I think that's a really hard thing to replicate from week to week. Being so successful on on uh, on third and fourth downs when you have to move the chains when being below average on early downs, which you know th- again another thing to be mindful of. The Aggies were actually below average on first and second down in terms of expected points added last year. So while obviously I want to see them try and move the chains on like early downs, it's it's just one of those things where if they can at least hold on to most of the gains that they made in terms of like, you know, coming up big on money downs in particular, mm-hmm. you know, this UConn defense, it, you know, we, we talked about it on a couple of different podcasts, you know, they have some playmakers, like they've got a pair of very good linebackers in Jackson Mitchell and Ian Swenson, who, you know, should be able to rack up, I would, I would not be surprised if both of them racked up double digit tackles by the end of the day, but they may have some new players too, who could figure into, you know, long-term improvements, if not necessarily this Saturday, Um, you know, guys like, you know, Sequoia McDuffie, who, you know, had six and a half tackles for loss, four sacks at Old Dominion last year. Um, You know, Marcus Bembry, who was a transfer of Kentucky, uh, Brandon Boyer Randall, who's in the starting lineup alongside Mitchell and Swenson at linebacker as a true freshman. So, like, that front seven in particular looks a little bit different. And what I really want to see from the Aggies on maybe more so than anything on offense is just, you know, this veteran offensive line that also played really well down the stretch last year. You know, they're, you know, basically bringing everybody back. I think they may have one new starter in the, in the, in the starting five, Waylon Lapuajo, uh, at right guard. But other than that, you know, this is, a unit that should be able to keep those guys off of Bonner and give him the time to throw that, you know, where he was taking a lot of hits, you know, in certain weeks last year, if he's getting hit a lot this week, I think that's maybe a a red flag for for the rest Mm -hmm. of the season. Yes. And one other concern, I was going through a depth chart again. Do you see how many offensive linemen they listed for UConn? Uh, For UConn? Seven. Oof. Yeah, they do have the same guy listed as a backup at, yeah. at both guard spots in a, a center, don't they? That is not good. I was looking over the guys at the UConn blog. They put up the, the added a few extra notes that I didn't see. But yeah, that's uh, yes, they have the not same. I, Chris, not ideal. That Christopher not that Ford much reliable depth is listed as three backups as left guard, center, right guard. Yeah, that's Utah State's defense is going to have some fun. Yes. So, what's your score prediction for this one? Okay, so this one actually does have projections from all three you know metrics that I like to look at. So SP plus, um, as you might expect, they fears the Aggies by a lot. It's a roughly it's 40, 40.8 to fifteen point three, so that's about a twenty five point margin. Uh, FEI also likes the Aggies big by twenty six point three, and uh, Parker Fleming gives the Aggies a ninety five point two nine probability of winning this game. Uh, Too low. rough margin of about <laughs> 40 to 17. Too low. <laughs> and that's, and that's about where I had it, honestly. I, I have Utah State winning this game, going away, um, 45 to 17. Didn't Fresno State pull a shutout last year, like 40 to zero against them? Wasn't that what it was? Uh, yeah. It was a shutout. I forget the exact score though. Okay. Remember you telling me, take, it's, it's basically the same line last year, like take it. <laughs> First, it's yes. good to crush them. Um, it's the same thing. I'm going to go, I've been thinking 40 to 10. So I'll stick with that because I think they'll sneak one in or get a few points here or there. So easy victory for the defending champs that want to know. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now we go to it at the same kick time on Big Ten Network, so make sure you uh, have that in your uh, TV provider of choice. At Illinois, Cowboys, and Matt, how is Illinois love and point favorite with Brett Bielema as their head coach? Like, this is going to be a rock fight. Nobody's going to win by – if whoever wins is not going to win by more than 10 points. I'll tell you that right now. Maybe. Why are you hesitant on saying this will be a defensive showdown? Or wait, I mean, you said Wyoming's going to be a defensive showdown, but I think the, I think Illinois could be a little bit better than I think a lot of national prognosticators are thinking that they might be. Yeah. And I think they could make for a particularly tough matchup against the Cowboys team that's, you know, the season hasn't even started yet, and they're already dealing with injuries. Mm-hmm. You know, as we talked about during the mega preview, they've already lost Buck Coors and Gunner Gentry for the entire season. And then it came out, you know, shortly thereafter that, you know, their primary backup running back to Wyatt McNeely, you know, he's going to be unavailable for this game. Um, Sebastian Harsh, who's expected to contribute as part of that defensive end rotation, he's not going to be available in this game. And oh, by the way, uh, I mean, if everybody is assuming that Andrew Peasley is going to be QB1, why is he not listed as the starter? Drama. Uh, yeah, why? What is, your, what is your rationale for that for that move? Because they did the same thing at punter too, where there was a competition oh, between, uh, between Ralph Bawas and, uh, and the I forget the other person whose name escapes me. It's a punter. I don't care. Um, sorry. Um, I, here's my rationale because coaches are dumb. They allegedly want to keep secrets that don't matter because there's quarterback. I must have missed. It. I'm trying to look, I'm double check it real quick. So they have oh quarterback is just TBA. What? That's not even or TBA. You don't even list. This is so weird. TBA, but then they list or for left guard and defensive end, both defensive end positions. It's because Craig Bull is trying to outsmart everybody. Like, oh, you're not going to know if it's our again tra- quarterbacks who transfer to a new school are not going to be relegated to quarterback two. Andrew Peasley starting this game, hundred percent. Bank on it. He's starting no matter what. Okay. I've what, what reason do we have to say otherwise? If he comes into town, why would he come in to be backup? That's a good question. I, I honestly don't know. Like I asked you what the rationale was because I honestly couldn't think of anything. Co- coaches are dumb and they think they're smart. How do you think Wyoming fans feel about that? They're probably nervous as heck. Like right? I haven't seen you... anybody mention anything about it, but it is a little weird. Wouldn't you be nervous if your team – here's what it says um, over at 7220 Sports, a little blurb about what's going on. Uh, well, Brett Bielema finally didn't name his quarterback, and then they joke, put they kind of joke, TBA? Why? I don't know. <laughs> it's like, what is going on? Like, when that's the answer. I don't know what it is. And he also goes on to say, but until you really go out there and start playing against the opponent when things aren't scripted, whoever the quarterback is, we'll see how they respond. But the number of guys that we had in there, we'll get, we'll get, we'll feel good about what they, and they'll do a good job leading the offense. So we feel good, and he knows they'll do good. Well, that's not true because if you knew a guy who felt good with their offense and was doing good, you wouldn't be in a situation where you're not naming your starter. Here, I guarantee he already knows who it is. Obviously, I, I, 
at this point, UConn with Jamor, I still think they're not sure. But at this point, we're recording Thursday. It is a road game there. They're probably leaving Friday morning, maybe even Thursday night, depending on how it works if school started or not, to travel to uh, the right uh, flight to Champaign. But it's just coaches are just trying to be. I think part. Of, I think the real reason, to be honest, is because he doesn't want to give anything away. Which, okay, you have a quarterback who wasn't on your team last year, so and. It's not like Peasley played a ton at Utah State last year. You know what I mean? It's Logan Bonner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so there was that little bit of the first couple of games where Pease, or excuse me, Bonner was still a little banged up and they kind of split time, which was kind of awkward a little bit, which is why I think Bonner could throw for 4,000 yards possibly, but that's something else to get to if we ever do. But I just think it's he doesn't want to give away what's going on, and they don't have film on anything unless you watch these other locations of schools or watch what Wyoming did last year with their backups. And so it's like – it's just coaches being dumb and silly and trying to play mind games that don't ever work, I don't think. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, the more important component of this game is going to be the running attack. Yeah, but like everybody knows Sven. that too. Titus Swen, hand off right, hand off left, toss right, toss left, off a line block and get out of his way. <laughs> well, okay, well, not not just Swen though. Like, I would it would not shock me if Swen had twenty carries in this game. That's a lot. But I think that all I would also expect that you know even with McNeely out for this game, that the two other guys listed on the depth chart, you know, Joey Brash, who you know came out strong in the spring game, DQ James, who looks like he could be a really explosive you know contributor in the backfield. Like, I think all three of those guys could potentially play a pretty big role because. On the one hand, Illinois does have, you know, a pretty fair amount of talent in their front seven. You know, one of the things that they were able to do really well was get after the quarterback last year, uh, especially on passing downs. Like they were, they were a top 10 unit in terms of like bringing down the quarterback, you know, 12.4% sack rate in those situations and 7.7 overall, which was, you know, 37. So like that was one thing that they were really good at doing. Conversely though, they had a lot of trouble disrupting the ground game often last year. And nothing really encapsulates that better than the fact that their stuff rate overall was 111th in the country, 14.3%. And so I'm thinking like, yeah, you know, obviously the, the mystery around the quarterback, you know, as unnecessary as you deem it to be, yeah, that's probably going to you know generate more headlines and more, you know, get more people talking. But I'm also looking at, you know, the fact that this is still an offensive line that brings back, you know, three starters, you know, Frank Crum, Zach Watch, Zach Watts, excuse me, Eric Abajai. Um, you know, they elevated Nofoafia Tulafono to the center position. They, you know, they have Emmanuel Pregnon, who was always expected to step up at that other guard position. What are those guys going to do against a front seven that, you know, has guys who he could definitely get after the quarterback. And I'm thinking particularly about the defensive line, which you know had a couple of guys who were, I believe they were all conference honorable mentions last year, Keith Randolph, Johnny Newton. And they're also getting Calvin Avery back from injury as well. Um, I believe, I believe he's coming back from injury. I, I may have him mistaken with somebody else, but um, by the way, this is, yes. I think, a worthwhile juncture to mention that, you know, Randolph and Newton have an excellent nickname that was bestowed upon them by Brett Bielema. Are you it? aware of that? No, I'm not. Lay it on me. I'll grade it right they now. Call, they, call, they, they call them the law firm. And what's the names again? Uh, Randolph and Newton. Perfect. Sounds great. It, it really does. <laughs> it really does sound excellent. Solid. Um, but, you know, but because those two guys last year, 
you know, nine and a half combined TFLs, seven sacks. So they're going to make a difference one way or the other. And I think maybe more so than whatever the quarterback situation looks like, ensuring that the ground game doesn't get bogged down is going to be priority number one, in my opinion. Yeah, that it's going to be a big a big thing to do. This game, oh, we should mention, oh, well, should we mention who Brett Bielema finally named his starting quarterback? Tommy DeVito, as of about an hour ago. Syracuse transfer quarterback, boom. So Andrew Peasley, get ready to take that first step as well for you. He played, he started, I believe, what was it 15 games with the Q, with the Q's there? I think that's what it was. Yeah, I mean, but, he, he had a very good, he had a, I mean, he came on in a late in 2018. That was when Syracuse was a top 25 team, if memory serves. Did they beat Clemson uh, they that year or were super close that year? Uh, I think that was the year they beat Clemson. Yeah. Um, you know, he was the starting quarterback the following year. They fell off, but, you know, he had a pretty good year. He completed 63% of his passes, uh, you know, seven yards per attempt, 19 touchdowns, only five interceptions. And then he got, you know, he was plagued by injury in 2020. Um, you know, only played in three games last year before transferring. So like he's, he's a guy who I think could benefit from the tutelage of a new offensive coordinator, Barry Lonnie Jr., who, you know, we saw what he did last year at UTSA with, with Frank Harris, with Sincere McCormick. Very and, good. I mean, these aren't like household names, let's say, you know, your, your DeVito's or, you know, they're running, ba- you know, they're, they're running back, uh, what's his name? <laughs> I'm trying to pull up the, the depth chart right now. Uh, why are we running back? Uh, no, no, no. Chase Brown, the Illinois running back. Oh, Illinois. Sorry. That, okay. Yeah. A thousand yard runner last year. You know, very clearly sort of the tip of the spear, you know, him and Josh McCray are going to have, you know, other guys who could potentially p- contribute in that backfield. They brought in Chase Hayden from East Carolina. Like, it's going to be a balanced offense. It might be an offense that, you know, has a similar kind of run pass mix to you know, what Wyoming is probably trotting out there themselves. But one thing I, I came across in my research was that UTSA did throw more often than the Illini did under their old offensive coordinator last year. It, and they ran roughly six more plays per game. And, and, you know, they ran six more plays. They passed about 11% more often, which I, I, I think on a per drive basis probably means that like one or two plays is going to be a throw rather than a run. But at the same time, you know, I think the strength of the, the strength of the offense is probably still in their offensive line and in their ground game. You know, like I mentioned, Chase Brown is probably going to be the focal point one way or another. And so I have to think that the biggest matchup in this game is going to be that defensive tackle duo of Cole Godbout and Jordan Bertignol versus three guys in the middle, Alex Pelstrom, the center, you know, Zy Chrysler and Isaiah Adams, both of who are JUCO transfers who earn starting roles. The Illini are going to have a huge size advantage up front. I believe it was, you know, over at 27 Sports, they projected on average the offensive line is going to stand six foot six and 316 pounds. That's not going to be easy for an undersized Wyoming defensive line to deal with, not just Godbout and Vertigal, who are 285 and 283 pounds, respectively. But, you know, the, the new guys on the edges, you know, your Braden Siders, Devon Harris, Oluwaseyo uh, Matosho, like, you know, they expect speed to make a difference. But if they're running into a physical ground game that wants to just punch you in the mouth like Illinois does, they're going to need every bit of depth they can get from their defensive line to stay fresh so that way they don't get into the second half of this game 
and they find themselves getting worn out where Illinois can assert itself, uh, you know, more aggressively on the ground. Yeah, this, this game, because also with Brett's done, like he's a defensive guy when he was at Wisconsin before, went to Arkansas, which massively failed. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's why I think this game's going to be – I know what you mentioned with Titus Swen and other running backs because last year it was Swen got a good – probably outplayed Xavier and Validate late in the year. But they typically had like a big back. Validate still got bulk of the carries throughout. But I just think it's going to be a lower-scoring matchup because a couple of things. Both teams do have a new quarterback. So they're probably going to rely on running the ball, which they want to do regardless. Both guys are defensive-minded coaches for the most part. I know they brought the guy from UTSA to run one wins offense, which is hopefully it's massive. And don't forget, Matt, also the quote that probably our buddy Andrew, maybe Jesse in our DMs back in spring, that basically what Craig Bull says, if you're going to joke, copy and paste from and or look for the last five years or something, we're going to open the ball up and pass it more. That's not going to happen this game. I do not believe that's the case. Probably not. So what's your prediction here? Because it's 11-point line in favor of Illinois, which seems way too high. So interestingly, the projections are, you know, there's a little bit of variety. They all favor Illinois, but by different margins. SP Plus favors the Illini by about 12 points. It's roughly 28 to to 17 margin, 29 to 17. Uh, FBI, however, sees it much closer. They actually favor Illinois by less than a point, uh, 22.7 to 21.9. Um, and then Parker Fleming's stats of war, he likes the Illini, he gives them an 84, well, not, not he, but his numbers, his preview gives them an 84.69% chance of, of winning this game, uh, by roughly two touchdowns, 28 to 14. So have you taken a look at what, really quick, what over, I'm trying to find out here, where'd it go? The win totals for Illinois? Uh, I have not. Four and a half. You're telling me oh, there'd be. I a, mean, if, if I'm a betting person, I'm taking the over. They had five last year, but I, I'm. This team's just not a great team you're going up against. I don't have their schedule overall, but it's kind of yeah. They have. Uh, they're they're tough. They're easy games are on the road, like Indiana, Nebraska, Northwestern. They still got Michigan, Iowa. Their schedule can easily lead to that because Minnesota, Purdue, Iowa, Michigan State at home at Michigan. It, their schedule is not very difficult within the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Mate, I I could still probably see them taking the over just because of who they're playing. It's like at Wisconsin, okay, Virginia has new quarterback, all that type of stuff, new coach as well with, uh, I think, what, Tony Bennett taking over Bronco Mendenhall. But four and a half wins, I'm like, oof. My projection, I think Illinois is going to win by a little bit, but it's going to be well, – who did you say was like less than point? Was that FEI? Who was the closest you said again? So they hit it within a po- within two points, you said? Uh, yeah, within one. Oh, within one. I, I'm, I'm gonna go something like 21-20 for Illinois, but I don't feel confident they're gonna win. I think Wyoming could pull the upset, but I'm not quite there to predict the outright win for the Pokes, unfortunately. Yeah, I think and, the line I just, they have, they have more talent. All that yeah, seems to say. Barely. So I'm gonna take <laughs> Illinois. I mean, I think Illinois is gonna win. I have them winning 24 to 13. Yeah, it's gonna be close. Take the under two at 44. Come on, people. What are you doing? Right? Yeah. It is matchup. All right. Next, next game we have Nevada at New Mexico State. Got picked up by ESPN2 to 7 p.m. Pacific time, 8 p.m. local. Um, I should have a Q&A out with the guys for the Las Cruces. Um, no, shoot. I forget the paper, but he does stuff for Las Cruces and covers the Aggies. So uh, hopefully Friday. JC Groves, right? Yes, that's what it is. Yes. I, I spaced on doing a million things, but we have that coming up. Hey, Matt, if you want to go to this game, it's only $16 if you're wondering. 
it's almost sold out too. So you better get your tickets fast. Oh, dang. That's good. Hey, that's awesome. Like go to a, I don't care where you play football. If you can get a, a packed house, it's better than playing in front of like 4,000 people. So exactly. I, I don't think the stadium there holds where they probably hold maybe 20,000. Nothing. It's probably small, right? I'm assuming all screws has nothing to use. Yeah. I don't know that off the top of my head. At Aggie Memorial Stadium, but this matchup has two first time head coaches. Oh, I also should mention Wolfpack were a nine point road favorite, which eh, I'm not sure. We'll see. But yeah, Jerry Seals. The capacity is 28,853, by the way. Okay. Solid. Yeah. If they get to 25K, that'd be fun. A great opener. It's, it's, there's some hope. New coach, they have Jerry Kill coming in from, he was, um, oh shoot, was he the DC at TCU or was he like a defensive coach? I believe he was like an assistant of some kind. That's what I thought. He's also more notably known from Central Michigan where he did quite well. He had some health issues, fairly severe seizures, which kind of led him to take a step back and take a lesser role, like a less, uh, what's the best word? Less demanding role at TCU. Mm-hmm. And going to Mexico State, it's clearly, like we mentioned, not one of the best jobs in the country. It's a job where they're not going to put you on a stick if you, go two and 10 this year or something like that. If their record isn't great, it's the more, it's not as hot as intense as some other jobs. He's leading them into conference USA next year. And then the Wolfpack obviously Ken Wilson, former Nevada guy coming from Oregon as their uh, defense, a defensive coach there. And Nevada has, um, as we mentioned off season, Matt, a lot of new faces out there. A lot. No kidding. <laughs> they lost a quarterback to NFL draft. Everybody went to Colorado state. A couple of guys went to San Jose state. So what what do we want to make of it? Well, and that well, on top of that, before before I before I forget, um, Aaron Frost and Joan Claiborne, who were two of the names, you know, the more familiar names expected to contribute this year, uh, both of those guys are gonna be off in this game as well. That's right. How long is Aaron Frost out the offensive line? Was it how severe was it? I remember looking at it by some reason I spaced on it until you just mentioned it now. I don't think I've seen anything particular about a timeline. Okay. I just remember seeing something about a few weeks of that wasn't great. Mm-hmm. So that's a big deal. So did you see, okay, let's, let's start on the defense side real quick, which you know, I really do because I don't like defense at all from according <laughs> to some people. <laughs> it's like a long joke, but over at Nevada sports Center, Chris Murray ranked his like, mo- not best players, most important players. Mm-hmm. And I think he's accurate with saying Dom Peterson is their most important player on the team. And he's been around forever. He was, yes. uh, was he top five in our list or top he 50? was. So he has 40 starts, 150 tackles, 41 and a half TFLs, 22 sacks, a couple forced fumbles, a couple recoveries. And I remember, was his big boy touchdown in the bowl game when he kind of broke out a little bit a couple years ago? I'm trying to remember. Ooh, yeah. I remember he had I a big bowl. Remember. I remember he had a big bowl game a couple years ago. And so he's been around with the COVID year, six year leader of this defense, maybe NFL guy. I'm not sure, but he's a guy who's going to disrupt whatever New Mexico State brings out offensively. And he's yeah, a guy and that's, I mean, that's really the thing, right? It's like we don't really know what what New Mexico State is doing offensively because there's a lot of ores on that too deep. I don't know if yeah. you noticed that. Yeah, quite a few. So like, part, it's new you know, coach we, brings we, to it. And we talked about the Aggies throughout the summer. You know, I, I we sort of operated under the assumption based off of the spring performance that, for instance, at quarterback, Diego Pavia would be the guy who who got the starting nod. And I think that he will probably be first on the field. Um, you know, he, and as I mentioned before, he's a, you know, Juco guy, um, won a, a national championship last year, if memory serves, at New Mexico Military Institute. It's a great Juco. But what's more interesting is who his or is tied to. Ooh, and that's that? true freshman Gavin Frakes. Interesting. 
So, you know, both of these teams are sort of playing chicken with their quarterback situation. But at the same time, you know, we know we know about Peterson, but also like how confident are the Aggies going to be in their retool running game? Because they have four guys listed there, all sophomores. But, you know, it's it's really hard to say with any certainty, like who is going to step up and, you know, claim you know, the lion's share of whatever carries there are to go around. Because I think there was a lot of expectation that, you know, Amante Watkins, who was a TCU transfer, um, would be sort of at the top of that heap at least. But, you know, he's he's listed third there. You know, the guy actually at the top is a guy who, you know, uh, Jamani Jones, who spent a couple of seasons, he's, he played the spring. Um, actually, he didn't play the spring because it was postponed at Northeastern Oklahoma A&M. Mm. But when he played for them last fall, you know, he led that team 481 rushing yards, 11 touchdowns, um, you know, in, and I think it was in seven games, if I'm not mistaken, uh, or he scored a touchdown in the team's last seven games. So they might think that, you know, with the guys they brought in from from sort of these far-flung places, you know, your guys like Pavia and Jones, that maybe they'll have something there. But I think it's going to be incumbent, not just on Peterson, but, you know, especially on the new guys that are that are starting up front that won those starting jobs, Marcel Walker, James Hansen, Louis Cresto. Those guys got to come out firing just as well too, especially since run defense was really maybe the number one Achilles heel that the Wolfpack had last year. Yeah. And if they're going four guys, they're no solidified guy. And it can be, it can also be a benefit too. Maybe if they run through guys, they just kind of want to see what's going on because, okay, you get a carry here, carry here. They could, they could maybe wear down that Nevada, excuse me. Yeah. Nevada defensive front. If they have all these guys fresh to even say if their talent may not be superior or how great it is, somebody's going to stand out. But if you rotate four guys in and everybody's fresh all the time, even if you're just a average or not, uh, you're not going to be the starter for the Aggies, but it could be a position where they wear them down because they're so deep. It depends how good that depth is. We don't know. So that could be a mm-hmm. kind of a flip side. It's like, Hey, here's, yeah, we don't know who our starter is. Everybody's going to get a chance to play. And see what you can do. And Coach Kills probably like, you have to be fresh. You're gonna we'll rotate you in and out. So when you're out there, give it your all. And that could essentially may possibly maybe an advantage you have to wear down that Nevada front seven. So that's yeah, one and, way to look and, at it too. And, if you're a little nervous, a Wolfpack fan. Yeah, and that's that's also true because you know, this is still a, an offensive line that you know, no, it wasn't great last year. Um you know, they, they, I think the most of their struggles, though, were were more in the ground game. They were at least adequate about protecting who was under Sarah last year. Their six, their sack rate allowed was actually six point five percent, seventieth overall. So there was pretty close to the national average. And so I think there there could be an opportunity there where if Nevada struggles to generate a pass rush, that New Mexico State might be able to move the ball a little bit. But I think the other the other question too is you know the reality that. Um, you know, I think other than trying to look at who they have in their starting, you know, the starting receivers, they're basically starting over among their pass catchers. Like I'm trying to compare last year's stats. I think Justin Powers is the only guy coming back, and I, I could be wrong about this. I think he's the only one coming back who had double digit catches last year for this team. Because uh Thomas Wisford didn't he's the starting tight. Well, actually, you know, I take that back. Thomas Woodsford, the starting tenant, did have 19 catches last year. But the story remains the same. You know, their their major pass catchers from last year, Jared Wyatt, Isaiah Garcia, Castaneda, Andrew Bottison, those kinds of guys, all gone. But if the offensive line can hold up against a rebuilt 
Nevada defensive line, they might be able to find their way towards something. No guarantees, though. Yeah. One thing, too, what could be an issue in this game, like Nevada, their offense, again, we don't know Nate Cox, maybe or may or may not be a quarterback. They have Toa Tower running the ball. They also lost a million receivers, Elijah Cooks. Um, how do I pronounce Romeo's name now? Because I've seen it a million different ways now. What, what's the pronunciation <laughs> yeah. of him being gone? I've heard – we called him Dobbs, Dobbs last I believe. year. Well, we called him Dobbs. Wait, I heard like Petros on FS1 and stuff like that. Dobbs, during a Packers video, he said like Dobbs, like D-A-H. Chris Murray has a piece out about it, but I'm like, Romeo is just a better name. Just go by that, right? You know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> he, he's gone. Just Let's call him the 50-yard monster. That's all I did last year, two years ago. So they're losing a lot of talent as well. But the one area strength Mexico State has, they have nine starters back on defense. How, and they're switching to, to a – well. More teams are doing this like a four-two-five type of scenario. Mm-hmm. It's a little different than three-three-five. You have a bit more beef up front, but they um, will have that depth there. But looking through kind of what they have beyond that, uh, many, many, many freshmen are in the two deep. So looking at what they could do, like their starters, probably fine and play pretty well against Nevada. It's once the game gets going and moves on where they'll be issued. You have to start like or not start, but play guys who are. Young, but they also have a decent amount of transfers. Like they have a couple of former four stars, a guy, a couple of guys from Oklahoma, a couple of guys from Michigan coming in throughout the whole defense, some Juco guys. And with Jerry Kilby, a defensive coach, and being with Gary Patterson, I'd expect their defense to be pretty solid because Nevada offense is going to have a hiccup. So that's an area where that could be a problem for Nevada, at least early on, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, to that point, you know, it's not like the the Aggies have some like individual players who aren't good. You know, I think the strength of their defense really, and I know for a fact I talked about this in, in numerous preseason previews, is that linebacker in particular, Chris Ojo, Trevor Brohard, both of those guys can disrupt and make life miserable for for whoever ends up under center. They can get in there and and stuff whatever plans the Wolfpack have to sort of you know tinker with their offense and, and give Devontae Lee and Toa Tala more run. What I'm most interested in is we knew with the air raid how explosive the passing game could be. That was really where New Mexico got lit, where New Mexico State rather got lit up last year. And you know, while they do have a you know a handful of guys who, who are back who you know could be playmakers in that regard, Cyrus Dumas, for example, uh, DJ McCullough, uh, Dylan Early, the freshman safety. They're, they also have enough new faces in that unit in particular. You know, they brought in Bryce Jackson, for instance, who, you know, Nevada fans are probably aware he's a former UNLV guy. Uh, Linwood Crump came over from Colorado State. So, so will the Wolfpack be tempted to try to attack down the field early and then use the running game to try and salt it away late? Or do they try and try to play, uh, try to plan to be more balanced in the same way that it seems like they're leaning towards? Because, like I said, most of the playmakers on the Aggies' defense are up front, not just Ojo and Brohard, but like Donovan King, for example, Lazarus Williams, who's you know was a part-time player last year. But both of those guys had five and a half combined sacks, fourteen TFLs as well. It could be the kind of situation where what Nevada wants to do may not necessarily be aligned with the best way to attack the Aggies' defense. So it'll be interesting to see if they think that their strength matches well with with New Mexico State's strength, at least on paper. So what's your prediction here? We've talked quite a bit about this matchup here. Or do we need to okay. do Nevada offense? We haven't talked about them at all. Well, that's what I, like, that's what I was just doing. 
Sorry, I was and sorry. I was. I'm like, we've been talking for a minute. Maybe we just score. I'm like, wait, wait. Well, we mentioned. did get. A, we did go to question about Nevada in particular um, because you know, one of our one of our followers, Quinn David Lightfoot at Q underscore footy. What do you think the stat lines will be for Tawa and Lee in particular? Oh, that's right. Um, I'm like this game's with Ken Wilson as our head coach. Look what look what Oregon did. Overall, and not the misuse of Justin Herbert that Mar- that um, Mario Cristobal did because he was garbage at quarterback development. They had guys mm-hmm. like Travis Dye running a lot. They want to run reasonably well, so I kind of expect he may have his own setup what he wants to do. But I'm guessing with new quarterback and receiver, they want to lean on that ground game. Um, is it unrealistic to like? Do you, I, I'm betting one. I bet Tao will have maybe a hundred yards because you remember he catches the ball a little bit as well. That's a possibility. We'll see if that continues. But I can see the two combining for like is one seventy five. Does that sound unrealistic to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say so. I think the goal maybe is you know if combined between the two of them, if they can get two hundred yards total offense, they're going to be in great shape. Yeah, I th- and then I bet if if you include passing, they might, they'll crack two hundred because Tawa is, can do that a bit too. Yeah, that's that's um, what I was sort of envisioning, both on the ground and through the air. Oh, gotcha. Okay, yeah, I must have misheard what you said. So what do we care about the quarterback? Is it going to be Nate Cox? Because everybody's going to make fun of it because he's giant guy, because he can lean over for the goal line to one inch. We get, we're fourth and short, QB sneak. You, you giant QB like, sneak. <laughs> you say that like Shane Ellingworth isn't also six foot six though. But he's not six nine. I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, honestly, this is probably going to be a similar situation to what we talked about earlier with you and Ali, where both guys, like regardless of whoever sees the field first, might get a lot of playing time in the first half just to see who who is more efficient at moving the ball down the field. Yeah, I I want to see both because I know the bowl game is not a great example last year because all half those guys left. I know Carson Strong didn't play an injury. For the need protecting himself for the NFL draft and other guys already out the door transfer Norvell left. So I don't want to take that game because he didn't play well. Just And it's hard to when every coach left, essentially. Mm-hmm. I'm leading because Nate Cox has been there for a while. He's a fifth-year guy, never started. Where did Shane Illingworth come again? I'm spacing on Was he from Oklahoma Rome? State. That's what I thought. I was going to say Oklahoma State. I'm like, wait. So this is a scenario where he probably some taunt coming over, but Nate Cox never seen to field. But then again, you're behind Carson Strong, and look how good he did. So why would you ever beat him out after they settled and who's going to throw the ball for them? Uh, mm. I, I'm more confident in either guys at this situation than with the UNLV spot you brought up where they're going between their two guys compared to these two. I'm more confident here, partly because defensive coach are going to just hand the ball off to like Tala, to, the, to those type of guys in backfield. And – We'll see what receivers can do because you got like guys like Trace Mack, redshirt freshman, a couple younger guys like Cooper Schutz is a sophomore tight end, but then you have a, a few older guys too. So I don't, the offense is a mystery to me just because what, what they lost and what Wilson's going to bring to the team as a defensive coach. Maybe he's one of these guys where, yeah, I'm a defensive coach, but I'm going to air the ball and throw it 65 times a game. <laughs> I don't think that's the case, but we can always dream, right? You never know. So what do you think about the QB? Do you care who gets it? Or you, I think it's pretty even at this point because you had a guy there for multiple years, but new staff kind of washes out of the way for the most part. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we're going to have a definitive answer by the end of this game. Oh. Who does Nevada have next week then? Who's their week one game? Uh, ooh. Let me check real quick. Because you may want to have – they play Texas State, so that's not a great conference USA team. Are they Sun Belt? Where they no, are? they're Sun Belt. Okay, I forget all the movement. Currently, there are sixty-two percent chance to win per FPI. So, I think they'd like to, 
I don't think it's necessary because here's their schedule. New Mexico State, Texas State, Incarnate Word, and then at Iowa. So definitely by Iowa. But this those three-week buildup will give them a chance or time if they really want to extend a competition. Not the best mm-hmm. situation you want to be in, but I think like there shouldn't be a problem them maybe starting 3-0 with multiple quarterbacks. Well, the projections at least think they're going to start 1-0. Exactly. What do you got there? What is the FPI so- and – I, know, I, get this, I get the sense I've got the sense this week, which is, I mean, it's sort of for another, another conversation. A lot of the projections, a lot of the rankings that I've been writing about this week over at mwire.com, most of them seem pretty bullish on the wolf pack. I noticed that SP plus likes Nevada by about 11 in this game. It's 32.5 to 21. I think may need to remember. FBI, Mexico State's garbage. <laughs> yeah, that that too. Um, FBI favors Nevada by 21 by a roughly 40 oh, to 19 margin. My, that's a lot. Uh, Parker Fleming, Stato War gives them a 71.53% probability of winning the game uh, by a roughly eight point margin, uh, about 33 to 25. Hmm. I'm sort of, I'm a little bit cooler on the Wolfpack right now. I Same. do think that they'll win this game, but I think it's going to be more of a fist fight than anybody would suspect. Are they going to I've cover? Got them winning... No, they're not going to cover. Oh, okay. I've got them winning 23 to 20. Oh, close. The one thing too, special teams apparently is a pretty big deal at New Mexico State. So there's kind of a, uh, I was reading a couple of things. That's about true. They what... got a very good kicker, Ethan Albertson. Yeah, kicker, but also they think they've returned game as well. So they're kind of expecting like there could be a big special teams play. So mm-hmm. we'll see what that is. Um, here's the thing, too. The rushing yards we may want to adjust because last year they gave up 196 yards per game and 40 points per game last year. So you're telling me Nevada will get to half of that margin? <laughs> 20, I mean, oh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I'm, I'm sort of reserving judgment on all the optimism that a lot of the projections seem to have. Yeah, I'm going to go with you. Like, nine, I'm, I wouldn't touch. Like, if you're going money, I wouldn't touch this because it's – I think the under might be the best case because it's 50, 50 points. I think that's not unrealistic, but I'm kind of in line with you. I, I think they'll, I go 20 to 10, so they'll barely cover, but it's going to be a low scoring game. And New Mexico State will be one of those games where they're never really out of it, like a 10 point game throughout. Like, oh, you're down seven to three, 10 to three, 13. You know what I mean? One of those games where like mm-hmm. you're kind of hanging around, but not really. But I think it's yeah. low points and 20 to 10 is where I'm going for Nevada to win. All right. Now let me check if I put that on my sheet here for our website to post it. I did good. Cover and because I forget sometimes. I don't always do that. Or <laughs> I say a different pick here than our week zero picks on our website. I'm like, hey, you have something else here. I only get called out a couple yeah. times and I forget to do that. All right. One last game of the weekend. Playing the SEC, buddy. How do you feel? Hawaii hosting Vanderbilt, the Commodores. I mean, I feel pretty good. 8 p.m. Mountain time, or eight, was eight thirty? So that's what four thirty Hawaii time. Hey, it'll be sunlight on the island for at least a couple hours. That's playing true. at the uh, TC Ching, which did they expand it to? Oh, shoot, fifteen thousand? Did they kind of refitted it a little bit to fit more than thousand? Something like that, year? yeah. Yeah, I remember they kind of changed it, but you can go attend Hawaii games, which is awesome. It's on CBS Sports Network. Vanderbilt is, as of now, it's changed. It's or maybe it's not changed. It's an eight point favorites. 
for them. It opened up on our article we have. I put the date of when the post. If you go check out like our week zero scoreboard and stuff, it was six and a half. So it's actually gone more to uh, Vanderbilt, surprisingly. Is that shocking a little bit that's gone up? I think it has more to do with the fact that betters maybe don't know what to make of Hawaii than anything else. New quarterback, new coach, yeah. And I think because because the Commodores have a little more certainty in a lot of those key positions too. Like we knew going into the summer that they were going to have a quarterback competition. Mm -hmm. Um, But now, like for instance, where where Hawaii still has you know three guys on their depth chart uh, listed with oars: Brayden Shaker, Joey Yellen, Cameron Cooper. Um, you know, they, they don't have that similar kind of uncertainty in Nashville. Like it's, it's going to be Mike Wright, a dual threat guy yeah. who, you know, was, was sort of operating in a less than ideal situation throughout last year, but I think played okay, given the circumstances, you know, he, you know, completed 53% of his throws, uh, you know, had over almost 400 rushing yards, you know, eight touchdowns, six interceptions. So I think, you know, one thing is, you know, if he can cut down on the mistakes that he made in his five starts, I think that's going to go a long way. But then you also go and you see that, like, when he made his start during the spring game, you know, he had a a 56-yard running, you know, rushing touchdown in that game on a broken play. So he's a guy that can do damage if Hawaii isn't able to contain him. And so I think, you know, first and foremost, I look at the offensive front, or excuse me, I look at the defensive front, and I think to myself, okay, well, this is a unit that for, for as much, you know, experience as they have brought in, it's still a mostly new front six, I guess you would say. You know, they brought in Matteo Soli from Arkansas. He's a starter at defensive end. You know, John Tuio, uh, Tui Chupo, uh, you know, both of those guys are seniors. Bless, bless Mentala, of course, is still there in the middle, but they need that front to be active about, you know, getting after the quarterback because that was really one thing that both of these teams had in common last year was they both struggled to generate a pass rush. You know, Vanderbilt, I believe, um, was next to last in the country, uh, 2.5% sack rate on defense. Uh, the Warriors were not that much better, though. They were 111th, 4.5%. And so, you know, I think guys like Soli, guys like, you know, to each poll, you know, how much havoc they can generate is going to go a long way toward determining, you know, if Hawaii can hang around in this game. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Also, um, I'm looking at some bold projections over at the Tennessean. So apparently mm-hmm. their secondary is pretty good. They've got a couple of nice pieces back there. They've got a really good safety tandem at Vanderbilt and Jalen Mahoney and Maxwell Warship. Yeah, they also mentioned here Ethan Barr as well, one of those other guys. They combine yeah. him, Worship, and Mahoney combined for seven picks. Their bold prediction is that they'll lead the SEC in interceptions this year. They're third last year, 1.1 per game. And if Hawaii's yeah. going to do it, we think they're going to do a Timmy Chang's run and shoot or whatever pass offense. That could be, uh, that might be, that could be the downfall of this game for Hawaii if they start <laughs> slinging it and then Vanderbilt starts picking them off left and right. That might be the biggest concern for this the Hawaii team, like to pay attention yeah. and- on that passing the ball. Well, that and like, you know, you might not be familiar with the weapons that Vanderbilt has, but it's not like, you know, they don't come in and they, it's not like they don't have guys that they can't throw to if, if they give right time to, to stand back there and, and go through his options. So like Will Shepard is the, he's the number one guy. He was the number one receiver from last year. Mm-hmm. But you know, what's most interesting to me, which I think could also be a key to this game is, you know, we know 
that the Warriors have totally rebuilt their their secondary in particular. You know, four, five brand new starters back there. You know, a couple of, of veterans. You know, Hugh Nelson, Verdell Edwards. You know, but you know they they have a true safety, Mataji Thompson, who's slated to start at one of the safety spots. You know, they brought in JoJo Forrest. You know, Malik Houseman, Power Five transfers. And those guys are going to be really critical for shutting down sort of the secondary weapons. And I'm thinking particularly about Quincy Skinner and Jalen Jaden McGowan. Skinner's a sophomore, 6'2", 205. So he's going to be sort of a big target who really only played sparingly last year. But, you know, he won a starting job. And I think they're expecting him to step up and be, you know, sort of that second option to be able to keep defenses from keying on Shepard. And then beyond that, you, know, you have McGowan, who's a little bit smaller guy, 5'8", 181. But he's a former track star. So, you know, he's got speed. He can stretch the field. You know, I would assume he's probably going to be sort of their primary guy out of the slot. And then you add that, Ben Bresnahan, you know, 6'4", tight end, you know, could, you know, be a, a, a reliable, not necessarily an explosive weapon over the middle. And, you know, we knew last year that the secondary was one of Hawaii's strengths. We're not going to know if that's the same thing right away, but I suspect that we're going to find out very quickly if that's still the case going into 2022. Gotcha. So what do we like with Timmy Chang being such a new coach? Like what do we like, want to expect from him in a game like this? Because it's a team where Vanderbilt's predict. I know they got that one first place vote because why not to win the conference? <laughs> They're finished pretty low. like this is a, Pretty good game from Gulp, I guess, because while well, Vanderbilt's not great in the SEC, they still have obviously some talent there. They have some guys who made all conference, particular linebacker in that type mm-hmm. of position they have. And um, I'm not sure what's his name here. Regardless, whatever they have. Um, oh, geez. I'm sp- I know I stayed. Um, Anthony or- Orgy, right there. Sorry, it's based mm-hmm. on it. But it's a team where there's talent to go up against, where this might be one of the tougher teams they face all year close to it. They, I don't think they're as good as Fresno or San Diego State, but they're probably not too far behind. They're well above Nevada. I'm obviously more above UNLV, New Mexico, CSU. They're probably middle of the pack. So this will be one of their tougher games. I think it's a good start where it's not a warm-up game. Like, well, you know, Jim Moore is a warm-up game. How about UConn? But the, this would be a good, good matchup to see where Hawaii's at. Like, it'll be tough. And Hawaii fans, don't be too concerned if it ends up being you lose to Vanderbilt by a couple touchdowns, which we'll see if that's the case. But this is a good matchup. Like, okay, instead of getting maybe some false confidence, if you're playing some random FCS school that flies out to the island for week one, like if they played, had they played a million teams, Central Arkansas, just random teams that come out the island and just naming off FCS schools. Mm-hmm. So this will be, I think this will be a good kind of gauge. Like, oh, here's what we really need to work on instead of winning 31 to 10 over some FCS school being blown out when they face actual competition. So I think mm-hmm. this is a g- good game to start off the Timmy Chang air. It's not overly difficult, but it's also, it's clearly not going to be an easy win if they can get the win. It'll be, they'll be able to see kind of measure themselves up against the rest of the conference and what they really need to work on before they head into their game the following week. Cause that's where I kind of think scheduling wise, this actually works out quite well and it'll give them a chance before they play Western Kentucky, which honestly might be harder than Vanderbilt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing I'm sort of interested in is. I was looking through through Parker Fleming's advanced previews for this in particular. Because if you look at this projected starting lineup, you see that they've got three wide receivers, a tight end, and a running back. So obviously they're going to be focused on probably being a little more pass first than they were under Todd Graham. But I think the question is, how much? And I say that 
because when you look at the advanced previews, one of the things that, that Perfect Fleming includes is this idea called rush rate over expected, which is essentially how often do you run the ball relative to what an average team does given down distance and where you are at on the field. And interestingly, the Warriors were under what you would average, what you would expect an average team to, to do, you know, five by 5.6%, they were throwing it more often than you would expect a team to in those kinds of situations. So my question is, is that number going to go up? And if that's the case, by how much? Interesting. Because I do think that that is probably going to be the strength of this offense. You know, I, I like Zion Bowens. I like Jonah Pinoke. You know, Jordan Murray seems to have a very good fall camp. And, you know, they still have Dedrick Parson, who is, you know, one of the, the best, you know, all-around running backs in the conference. And, you know, it seems like he's been getting erased from the conversation all offseason. I think mm-hmm. this is his opportunity to step up and and truly establish himself there. You know, I think as tempting as it's going to be to sort of throw the ball down the field and be aggressive, I think what Timmy Chang wants to keep in mind is, you know, Parson is still your most reliable weapon. Yes. So if nothing else at least try to get the ball in his hands early, like Graham did last year. He had 28 catches overall. 17 of them came in the first half. So it would not shock me if if he played a similar kind of role, you know, getting the ball in his hands out of the backfield, letting him create plays in space. Yeah, that's spot on. I agree. So what do you think? So, oh, man... You put him in a spot like that? What's the deal? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. This, I'm conflicted about everything in this game, not just what I did. did they, I, I agree with your point. Like, they have the best weapon is not what Timmy Ching wants to do, right? Because mm-hmm. he wants to throw the ball. They need to give it to their best weapon. Timmy Ching, hopefully, he's a coach where I remember years ago when Brady Hoke took over for oh, who is it? Chuck Long at San Diego State? Is that who uh, it was? Yes. So they had because we saw we saw Brady Hook also did at Michigan. Like it's basically I believe what I said more the offense does one thing and he wasn't going to come in and drastically change it because Ryan Lindley was the guy who swung the ball around forever. And they're like we're not we and what they had at City of State was multiple fullbacks, all the tight ends, where they slowly went out and about and made the offense work with who they had. I know the portal now you can do different things, but I think that's what Timmy Ching needs. You don't just go out there and go five wide and sling it every time when you have this guy on the bench, the running back. So yeah, I, that's and I think you, and I also think that relative to the other teams that are, that are likely to see multiple quarterbacks on the field this, this, this week, I think it is more crucial that, you know, they find the guy early that they think they're going to stick with. I don't think they can afford to fool around with the quarterback rotation any longer than is absolutely necessary. No, you're right. It, and they have this game, Texas State, Incarnate Word. They have a little bit of leeway. Those are Nevadas. Those are Nevadas. Oh, sorry. Jeez. Oh, I'm staring at <laughs> but, their schedule. But, My but bad. They have, they have, especially <laughs> in attention. Western Kentucky. That's what's sorry. The defense. Yeah. Michigan. Michigan. Um, oh, never mind. Duquesne, New Mexico State. So, I mean, other than the Wolverines, like, you know, there's there's plenty of opportunity for this offense to produce, I think. But it's going to start in week zero. Like, I think they, they have to figure out who that dude is going to be sooner, as soon as possible. Because when you look at – sorry, I, I, there's a reason I said that. There's a picture of Timmy Ching on ESPN for some reason oh, from yeah. the Nevada, Nevada page as well. 
And I'm like, oh. but here's the thing too. They'll need that because Western Kentucky, what are they going to want to do? I know the staff has moved around and Billy Zappi's not there, but they'll want to move the ball a lot. And if they mm-hmm. can't keep pace and you're rotating quarterbacks to get the rhythm and whatever cohesion you want with your team. And then Michigan's like, well, you're not going to win that, but you still don't want to look like dummies out there when you go to Ann Arbor in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're right. I think they need, I, I'm betting they'll play it. They'll probably rotate a little bit, but I think they need to name, it should be Brandon Schrager, right? Shouldn't that be the guy? I guess we'll see. No, I wanted yes or no for him, but that's okay. Um. <laughs> well, okay. So if it makes you feel any better, the projections are also split about this game too. I saw Hawaii's favorite of one of them. I forget which one I was going through right. last night. Which one is, or which one are they favorite? And which one do we want to lead with for the Hawaii fans to get excited? So FEI actually likes the Warriors in this game. Slight margin, three, 3.5 points, uh, but they project a roughly 32 to 29 margin of victory. Mm. Um, SP Plus, however, favors Vandy, but not by a lot. It's about a five-point margin, 31 to 25. Uh, Stats O'War, Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview gives Vanderbilt an 84.25% chance of winning this game uh, with a projected margin of roughly two touchdowns, 45, 46 points to 30, 31 or 32 points. Hmm. No, I do it now. Eight, six and a half at the time of my publication, but eight at the moment. Ooh. Yeah. Ah, man. What do you like? I want to pick an upset because I don't have a stupid upset this week yet. But I can't do that. Like, I think it'll be close, reasonably close. I don't, I think a touchdown's about the max it'll be in this game. Do you, do you think, why do you think their favorite Hawaii is in one of those metrics? What makes you think that could be the case? Cause I'm scratching my head to think about it. I honestly don't really know why they'd be a favorite at any level. I have to think it's probably because there's a little more of an explosive capability. Okay. Like that Makes was not sense. something that Vanderbilt did particularly well last year was create explosive plays. Okay. So what's your pick? What are you, what are you going with in this game? Oh, I'm going with the Warriors. You want, Oh, you're going with the, is this a, would this fall into line of a stupid upset pick or no? I mean, <laughs> possibly. I mean, possibly. I mean, if they're favored, it kind of has to, right? Okay. Did you put that in your document? I want to double check here. Oh, your name's on You know what? I, I, I did not, but I'm going off the prediction that I put in the first book article I wrote back in July. Okay. Um, we'll add your predictions later on the post that's published. That's all good. Yeah, I got to do that. <laughs> I forgot to do that. My bad. I was looking at yeah, yeah, I, I, I think it's going to be close, but I like the Warriors to win one point victory. One point 35 victory. 35 to 34. I got to go Vanderbilt, but I'm not happy about it. But it's going to be. I'm going to go 31-28 for Vanderbilt. And so they cover, but it's a close one. I think it'll be a close game, so stay up sort of late. It's not super late for us typically, but uh, I'll just put the wrong time in there. I put 8.30 Eastern. It's 10.30. My bad. Let me fix mm-hmm. it now. <laughs> I'm looking at local times half the time where I'm, my time zone tells me on whatever website I'm using. So we do have one question let's get to before we wrap it up here. I let's think it's a it. good one. I think it's the last question we have. Which Mountain West team is most likely to be upset this week? I think they were thinking of it in terms of FPI, right? Um, oh, FPI. Oh, should I have FPI? Yeah. Maybe so, so that. I can I can run this down real quick because I don't usually include FPI in, in my research. Um, but UNLV is given a ninety three percent chance to beat Idaho State. Mm-hmm. Uh, Utah State's given a ninety point six chance to beat UConn. Okay. Uh, Illinois has a seventy five point one percent probability of, of beating Wyoming. Uh, so maybe they don't count in this case. Uh, Nevada, 78.2% uh, probability over New Mexico State. And Hawaii, interesting, 
Hawaii's given a 72% chance of winning that game. What? An FPI? So is that, is that your answer? Well, no, Hawaii's, no, that's not upset though. Oh, no, no, um, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, which mountain? So in that case, the only teams that were part of this discussion, UNLV, Utah State, Nevada, and Hawaii. So the only one who's Wait. not included is Wyoming. Oh, I thought you said Hawaii was favored. You said they're favored, 71%. They are favored. Oh, oh, oh sorry. I, I, I'm reading the list. I'm like, um, uh, yeah, but you have, uh, but you have, uh, yeah, you have Vanderbilt yeah, winning it. that game. So I think that's got to be, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I, I was reading and hearing. I thought I mis- misunderstood. I was like, I'll take New Mexico State. Yeah, I guess the easy answer is Hawaii, right? Was that where you'd lean as well? Because that's the most likely one, I think. No, I put, I put Nevada. Really? Why is that? Yeah. I mean, if things don't come together as envisioned, New Mexico State's, I mean, they, they have a little bit of juice, not a lot of juice, but they could surprise if Nevada's not prepared or if they come out and they play sloppy football. I think the talent wise, Nevada has even lost much more. New Mexico State's like building from ground zero, essentially from nothing mm-hmm. to us almost. Defense starters are pretty solid. Yeah. I, I, just, I think I just, I know the travel is a big deal for Vanderbilt, but it's also week one or week zero or whatever, the very first game for them. So it's not like they're playing a game and traveling or going road game, back to back road games, then to Hawaii. I'm going to lean, yeah, I guess I'm going to Hawaii Vanderbilt. That was my pick, but I could see, I can make the case like you did for New Mexico State and Nevada because Nevada's like, well, they're almost starting over too. All this new talent, new coach, inexperienced coach at this level. So, but I'm leaning, I'll, I'll go Vanderbilt and you'll go, uh, New Mexico. And New Mexico State there. Yeah. One last question I'll ask you. So I thought this would be, I just thought of it just now as we go through a question. We'll do one thing. Maybe we'll do this every week or not. Who do you think? So I think it's actually maybe a question. Like, who's going to be the best player this week within the conference? Like, off, they mentioned offensive players. Like, I, did, gonna... I did see that question. Um, that, you know what? That's an excellent question. I'm more than happy to try and take a stab at it every single week and see how wrong I am. We could, um, all, we could all be wrong with you together. <laughs> offensive player of the week, Logan Bonner. That's the easy answer, right? I think so. Defensive also... player of the week, Byron Bonds. Okay. Special teams player of the week. I'm going to give okay. it to. Hmm, okay. <laughs> now, well, now I got to think about my final scores. Um, <laughs> I am going to say. Who's getting that game when you feel good, bud? That's what you're looking for. <laughs> well, I was going to say Matthew Shipley, but I have them scoring five touchdowns, so that wouldn't make a lot of sense. Um, let's say Brandon Talton. That's a good bet, Nevada kicker. Yeah. Yeah. Easy answer. Like, is, is it, can we, is it always the easy answer? Take the Logan Bonner in this situation? I'm trying to think who uh, else. I mean, if, if it's the obvious answer, there's probably a reason for that. Yeah. I can make the case maybe for Calvin Tyler Jr. Just because, okay. or, yeah. Um, yeah, Todd, I was almost mixed up the old Hawaii running back, or I can make a case for him. Um, trying to think of the teams. Hawaii, no mixed quarterbacks, Nevada, mixed quarterbacks. Toatala probably not getting enough run because they split a little bit of time. Um, UNLV, Kyle, eh, Kyle Williams, maybe, maybe. I don't know. That's a dark horse. Maybe, maybe. if you want to want to go deep, reach the bag and take a take a shot at something. But I think Logan Bonner is an easy and obvious choice. Even if he play, even if he plays say three quarters or Titus Titus Swan could be an old. I'll do this. You go Logan Bonner, take the easy way out. I will be a bit more Hang difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll go Titus win and Wyoming. All right. They, it means they have to win. I'm trying to predict them to win. 
But this doesn't mean this will be like the official conference player of the week. Maybe we'll just have to uh, rely on our judgment to decide between each other who is right and not. But we should just we should just name a player of the week. Yeah, we've done that in the past. Yeah, maybe we started doing that we again. Could. We we used to kind of do that. Maybe I'll do that and get my poll uh, our our power poll out each week. Yeah, that's a good idea, Matt. Obviously, excellent. I th- I think Titus Wynn could do it like a dark horse because if he goes for like one fifteen two touchdowns, that could be in the realm of possibility being the best offensive player of the week. Better yet, we can leave it to our followers on Twitter at MWC Wire. We'll do that as well. We'll we'll kind of make a, a do a few more interactive things like that. So that that's it for our show this week, week zero. Probably what are we going an hour plus not already typical and we'll end yes, we did. Games. Oh boy, we, we give the people what they want. It has been a long off season. It has. We got football this week, all day football. It's not well. We never get early morning games that often, but remember, check out MWCR.com or MWR. Oh, excuse me, that's our Twitter. MWR.com. We have our prediction post up. We'll have some highlights. We'll have previews how to watch some Q and A's. I'm working on hopefully for Friday. Um, yeah, tell a friend and uh, hang out. And there might be an announcement on Twitter about something we're doing Saturday. Me and Matt will discuss probably in about two minutes of what that's going to be when we're done here. So we'll see you next time. And rejoice, football's back. And if your team's not playing. Still turn on the TV and watch these games, please. Do it now. You know that you will, so you might as well just accept it. Awesome. All right. We'll see you next week for the recap.